You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. about this for a moment. Think about all the things that you doubt. And think about the age in which you started doubting things. So I, as kids, I mean, I, like our little kids are saying, Daddy, am I doing this right? Daddy, have I done this correctly? Is this the way it goes? Or you're sitting in school and you have a uh, multiple choice test and you've circled C and you're like, ah, oh, I'm not so sure if that's the right answer. So you erase it and you circle B. And you're like, oh, I'm not so sure that's the right answer. So you go with, the, with D when C was the right answer the whole time. Or as you get older, your doubts become, they may seem more and more significant. So you may say things like, man, am I making the right career move? Am I doing what's best for my family? Is this the house I'm supposed to purchase? Is this the place we're supposed to live? Am I living a life that's impactful? Am I parenting my kids right or am I screwing them all up? Was I too harsh? Was I not firm enough? Am I messing them all up? All these doubts fill our minds daily. And here's what these doubts do. I, well, I'll say this. This is what they do for me. I either... When I get to doubting, I run to fear and I run to anxiety because, and and then that kind of, depending on the doubt, goes one or two ways. It says, okay, you got to do more. Okay, I've got to overcorrect. I'm doubting. Okay, have I messed my kids up? Am I really pouring enough Jesus into them? So I'm going to overcorrect and just be like Mr. Non-Fun, just Jesus, like, non-fun Jesus because I've got to fill their minds with so much information or so, so I run to this overcorrection. I've got to do more, perform more, be better, be a harder worker or this fear and anxiety depending on the doubt leads me to not do anything at all and I just shut down. For example, I've never been, I love going to the pool and I love jumping off the diving board but I'm not a good flipper. And my kids are always asking me, do a front flip, dad. I ain't about to do no front flip. I ain't about to do no gainer, no back flip, none of that crazy stuff. Because every time I do, I either land flat on my belly or flat on my back. And it hurts. And so my doubting myself to be able to do a good flip off the diving board has led me to do one thing. I ain't doing it. I ain't even going to try to do it. So my fear there says, I'm just going to do a toothpick or a cannonball off the diving board and make the biggest splash that I can other than the coolest flip that I can do. I think about more doubts that you and I have and growing up in a Christian home and, and, and in church all my life, I've heard this question, this doubt over and over and I've asked it over and over again, is am I truly a Christian? Do I really love God? Or you may hear it like this. How do I know I'm saved? So that's kind of what we're going to tease out this morning. 
So, go with me to Galatians 6, where Paul begins at the end of this uh, letter that he's written to all the churches in Galatia, and I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Paul says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And here's the meat of what I want to spend our time on. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let's pray one more time. Father, at the end this morning, may we be able to firmly say that you are our only hope and that our boast is in only you and not anything else. So make this real in our own hearts and let us remember it as we go throughout our days and weeks when life continues to move on and doubts creep back up in our minds and our hearts. Let us remember that our hope is in solely you, Jesus. Amen. It's interesting to observe um, how person-to-person communication has evolved over the over history of time, really. So it, let's think about the different ways. You have uh, face-to-face communication, which is the best, right? I'm engaged with you. You're engaged with me. We're having a conversation. We can see each other's emotions and feelings. We can read each other. But then there's other ways of communication, of person-to-person communication. There's like what Paul's doing here, and he's writing a letter. And we've, a lot of us have probably had pen pals. And you meet someone at church camp or at some kind of summer camp, or, and, you know, you write a few letters back and forth. Then in uh, the 1800s, the uh, telegraph was invented. And so now you're communicating to people a long way off. And that really changed Now I don't have to wait for the Pony Express to get my letter to you. I can tap out Morse code and you can almost have it instantly. And then in August of 1876, the world changes in in person-to-person communication because that is when the first long-distance phone call was ever made by telephone. Fast forward, we have our cell phone devices, and just 30 years ago, this new thing happens, and text messaging comes around. And so now we communicate with our thumbs, or we type out an email. So no longer are we waiting for the postal service, we can just send an email to your inbox, and you get it within seconds. Here's, here's what... Uh, Here's what to think about this though, whether it's letter writing, whether it's sending an email or a text message, here's one thing that these things lack in, and they are very hard at conveying proper emotion, proper feelings. Think about this. How many times you sent 
a text message to your spouse or to a friend and they totally took it the wrong way. And it ended up being a fight. Or, um, or you're trying to have a disagreement on a text message and it just gets blown up. So they don't, thank, thankfully we have emojis and we can give a crying emoji or laughing emoji or anything like that to help, but they really don't convey urgency or the proper feelings or emotions that I'm feeling and trying to express to you. And so that's what you see what Paul's doing here in his letter writing, right? Look at what he says in verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you. So I think about this, all right? It's as if he's writing this letter and he gets to this point and all of a sudden it's in all caps. It's big, it's bold, It's bigger than anything else he's been writing in this letter. And why does he do that? Well, think about how you and I communicate with text or email. Here's This is what it looks like in my world. So I'm in the medical industry, and our company is uh, one of the leaders in getting coronavirus testing to the market to our physicians and hospitals. And it seems like the government makes changes uh, daily and weekly at times to these tests. And so... Uh, I have to update my sales team. And so I'm writing out an email, and the email may be a couple paragraphs long, but there may be one or two things in there that they've got. Like, if you don't read anything else in this email, you read my all caps, bold font. It's in bigger font. It's in underlined. It's all those things. So you know these are the three most important things that you need to take away from this email that I'm sending you. That's what Paul's doing here. So he's got to the end of this letter, and now he's, he's writing, and all of a sudden his fonts got bigger. His, he's, he's writing in all caps, because what he's, get, what he's about to say to these churches, he wants them to get. Like, you got to get this. If you don't get anything else in the rest of this letter, get what I'm about to tell you right here. And what does he say? Far be it from me, verse 14. To boast, accept, and the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is this so important? Well, history lesson about what was going on in Galatia. Galatia is a region. There was a bunch of churches, not just one church, a bunch of churches that Paul had planted. Paul had gone in there and shared the gospel. And all these people had converted and these churches were established. Well, after Paul leaves, here comes these, this other group of people who come in behind Paul, and while they don't disagree with Paul, they say, yeah, grace through faith, you just add more to it. So they say things like, grace, yes, you are saved by grace, plus doing the works of the law. Saved by grace, plus circumcision. Saved by grace, plus following Jewish customs. Saved by grace, Plus, doing everything the Old Testament tells you to do. And Paul is responding to that in this letter. And he gets to this point about understanding, about wanting the Galatian churches to understand that we boast only in the cross of Christ. And here's what this means. As these false teachers were saying this, John Stott says it beautifully. He says their idea of the way of salvation was that the death of Christ was insufficient. 
We still have to merit the favor and forgiveness of God by our own good works. And Paul called this a different gospel. This is not what Paul taught. He called it a different gospel. And he says in chapter 1, verse 6, anyone preaching that is cursed. They're eternally damned, cursed by God. He's like, get them out. Throw the message away. This is damning to us. But here's the reality. Fast forward to Paragol, Arkansas. It's not unlike what we hear and believe too. So we say things. While we may not say you have to be salvation by grace plus circumcision or salvation by grace plus follow the Jewish law, we say things like grace plus baptism equals salvation. Grace plus good deeds equals salvation. Grace plus the dues, you know, all the things that we're supposed to do as Christians equals salvation. Or grace plus the don'ts, you know, the don't drink, cuss, and chew, and go with girls to do, that old saying. All the don'ts. So grace plus the don'ts, the things that I'm supposed to abstain from equals salvation. Or grace plus the right beliefs. Grace plus the right doctrine, that equals salvation. Or grace plus a sinner's prayer equals salvation. Now, how many times have we heard people say, go back, did you pray the prayer? Go back to that time in VBS when you walked the aisle and you prayed a sinner's prayer. We believe somehow, we believe grace plus going back to a date in which we pray to prayer equals salvation. What I want us to understand, what Paul wants us to understand, is the correct gospel of boasting in Christ alone because Tim Keller says the truths of the gospel change life from top to bottom. They transform our hearts, our thinking, and our approach to absolutely everything. So we've got to get this right. So when Paul writes, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, God forbid if I ever come close to putting my hope and confidence in anything other than Jesus and his work for me. Lord forbid if I ever believe that, my, that your grace and my good works earn merit for your love and favor and salvation and your grace. Lord forbid if I'm banking on anything other than you, Jesus. And this is the theme of his life. All through the New Testament, you see him writing, 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. He would tell the people in Romans, I love this verse, and we're going to camp here on this one, Romans 1, 16 and 17, the power of God for that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live 
by faith. So let's camp here real quick. And let's look at two things in that one ver- in those two verses. One, salvation is the power of God, not our power, not our ability, not anything we can do. It is all the power of God's work in our dead, sinful hearts. In fact, the only thing you and I bring to our salvation, the only thing we bring in our hands to salvation is sin. Our brokenness. That's all we have to give. So we cannot come and stack up a list of good deeds that we've done. We cannot come to him and say, look at what all I haven't done. We come to him and say, this is all the junk I have. Because it's your power that saves me. Cannot stack up good deeds. And Paul knew this very well. Because he would tell the Philippian church that I put no confidence in my flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in flesh also. This is Paul writing. He's like, I don't put any confidence in the flesh. But I got. if anyone's got reason to, I've got reason to. And here's why. I was, I was a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of Hebrews, as to a law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul is saying like, I got whatever deeds you got, I got them better. Whatever you think you've done, I've done more. And I put no confidence in that. He would tell Titus in Titus chapter 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He says that He saved us not because of the works we did in righteousness. He said it's not because of anything we good we brought to it. He did it out of His own grace and mercy. So you can't stack up anything, anything you do, anything you haven't done, anything you're abstaining from. The only thing about salvation that you bring is your sin and brokenness because salvation is the power of God. The second thing Paul says there in Romans 1 that I want us to highlight real quick is that the righteous shall live by faith. Instead of Paul taking confidence in his work and his abilities and his performance for God, he writes that the righteous live by faith and he tells the Philippians that not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that depends on faith, he said. So it's not grace through faith plus works or plus do's, plus don'ts, plus doctrine, plus circumcision, plus baptism, plus a sinner's prayer. It's none of those things that equals salvation. It's only grace through faith that equals salvation. So... As I said, Tim Keller said, or as Tim Keller said, they change your life totally. How you think, how you act, 
So let's talk about how this works. How does this happen? And this is where we're going to get back to those doubts that we spoke about at the first, at the beginning. So go with me. Think about, think, let me just, let me just ask you, just answer to yourself. Have you ever, look, I'm going to raise my hand because I've asked this tons of times. So I'm just asking, just ask yourself, have you ever said, am I really saved? Have you ever said, how can, do I really love God? Have you ever found yourself in sin and said, how can I be a Christian and do this? Oh, I'm doing it again. How in the world? I, I can't love God. There's no way I can. Am I really a believer? Am I really following after Jesus? Do I really love him? I mean, we begin doubting our own belief in who God is. We, we, we begin to doubt what the gospel says. And I wrestle with it often. I would find myself in sin. I would beat myself up over it. And I would say a thousand sinner's prayers. And really mean it. (laughs) But the reason I would find myself doubting is because my boasting wasn't in the cross of Christ alone. As Paul writes in verse 14. It was in... Yes, I would say grace through faith, but my doubting was because it was I also believed that my performance for God mattered towards my salvation. So if I found myself in sin, I would say, yeah, I can't be a Christian, so now I got to go do more to prove my love for God. Or I would doubt my, how, how in the world can I, do I really love Jesus because I haven't read my Bible three days out of this week? Well, I, I, haven't, I haven't had a, a, a devotional with my children in two weeks. Do, can, am I really a, a parent that loves God, that wants to see his children come to faith? These are the things I'm saying to myself. It's these questions that I'm asking, the doubts that I'm having. And I do because I believe, even though I wouldn't outwardly say it, in my heart I'm believing that it's not just Jesus alone that brings about my salvation. It's Jesus plus what I'm doing for God or what I'm not doing for God that brings about my salvation. And here's what Paul says. If we boast in the cross of Christ alone, this is what he says in verse 16. As for all who walk by the, as for all who walk by this rule, great, uh, peace and mercy be upon them. And this is a freeing reality that we have to hear this morning. My heart needs this. I gotta have it. Here's what it says. I boast in Jesus alone because in his cross and his finished work alone because he's all I got. So when all these doubts come into my mind, when I find myself in sin and I say, how can I be a Christian and and do this? Then I say with a resounding, I can't, (laughs) I can't. Do I really love God enough? I will say, no, I don't. I don't love God enough. And that's why I have Jesus. That's why I have his cross. That's why he's worked it for me. That's why I can look to him and say, yes, I am a horrible sinner. And no, I shouldn't be doing these things. And sometimes I want to do them. But I have you, Jesus. 
So no. My doubts come. Yes, bring the doubts on now. Because I'm going to embrace them. And I'm going to say, yes, you're right. I shouldn't be a Christian. I can't be a Christian to do these things. But that's why I have Jesus. It's not up to me to earn my merit and my grace and my favor to God. It, Jesus has done it all for me. It's like a little kid. My son who would say, Dad, I can't. I mean, look, this is the simplest way I can, I can think of it. Daddy, I want some cereal, but I can't reach it and I'm hungry. I know, son, you can't do it, but I'm going to do it for you. (laughs) It's that simple. That's what Jesus has done for us. He looks at us and he sees us in our sin and in our brokenness. And he sees all of our works that we do and we don't do. And he says, it's not enough. And that's okay because I'm enough. So we rest. So instead of our doubts causing fear, instead of our doubts causing anxiety, making us either run to do more or making us not doing anything and we shut down, now our doubts can be an avenue of freedom to say, yes, you are exactly right. I do not love God enough. And I'm thankful for you, Jesus, because you do for me. So, next time you have doubts, boast in the cross of Christ alone. Because in that is peace and mercy. Here's the warning. Here's what we tend to do. We're all guilty of this. We tend to swing the pendulum the totally the other way. And I just want you to know that all this grace that God has for you and is lavishing on you and wants to give you all the work that Jesus has done for you is amazing and freeing. But it is not a license to do whatever you want to do. And just say, ah, grace covers all. Because that's the other tendency. We have a tendency to say, uh, we doubt and we perform and we overperform and we're trying to prove ourselves. And then we get, we have this freeing moment to realize it's all Jesus. And then we swing the other way and realize, well, if it's all Jesus and grace covers all, I can kind of do whatever I want to do. And nah, it doesn't work that way. Because Paul would even address that in this, um, in this book of Galatians. He would say there in, um, where's it at? Chapter five. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So if you're sitting here and we th- and you begin to have this uh, sense of uh, feeling, okay, I'm really free. I'm called to freedom. I can kind of do what I want. Just know, like, we, we got to get grace properly. We got to understand that God's love and God's grace do not give us a license to sin. It gives us the freedom to enjoy Him and obey Him. It's like, it's like what we've heard, what we've said here time and time again, that grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. 
And so God has established, Jesus has established a way of life for his followers to follow so that we could experience, as our, this, as our sermon series is titled, human flourishing, and so that we could experience life the way it's meant to be, the way he's created it to be. So he's given us do's, yes. He's given us don'ts, yes. And as Christians, if we understand God's grace, we know that those are there not to earn salvation, not to earn love, not to earn approval from God, but they're there to give us the best life the way it's meant to be created. It's like Donna, Mom, and I, like we give rules to our kids and we expect them to follow not just for kicks and giggles, like this is, if you follow our rules in our house, like life's going to be good for you. Life's going to be good for you as you grow. And so that's the way we look at following Jesus and what he says to do and practicing the lifestyle of Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did is not about earning favor and love and grace from God. It's about experiencing all of life that he has created because he has been given, because he has given us so much grace and mercy. So as you come to doubts, feel the freedom to say, yes, amen, I don't love God enough and that's why I have Jesus. But be on guard that that freedom leads you to a life of holiness, a life of obedience, a life of love for Jesus. And in that, I promise you, You will, as Paul said, find peace and mercy and find life the way it's meant to be lived. Let's pray. Father, in your goodness and in your grace and in your kindness, you have made yourself real to us. You've sent us Jesus to experience life and experience it more abundantly. So let us feel the freedom of performance for you. Let us feel the freedom of of your your love and your grace that it's not about works I do for you. It's not about things that I don't do for you, but it's all about the cross of Christ. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. And may we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. And may our boasting in that alone lead us to a life of obedience and holiness so that we can experience more of you and find that peace and mercy that Paul writes about. Amen.